So Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we're going to start reading at verse 9. This is God's word. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out and set to order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words. And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Amen. We thank God for this reading from his truth. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help to understand it. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We praise you that it speaks to us when we read it and when we hear it preached. We confess that we don't always think of it that way, that you are speaking in your word. Help us today to be aware of that. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to understand it, to believe it, and to apply it to our own hearts and minds. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time that they spent alive on earth. And now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. That is an excerpt from the poem by Linda Ellis called The Dash. Maybe some of you have heard that poem before. I have no idea if Linda Ellis is a believer, but I think her poem accurately gets to the heart of the matter that we've been examining in the book of Ecclesiastes. The truth that Ecclesiastes has been pointing us to is that how we live today should be impacted by the fact that we will one day die and leave this scene of time. That while we have immortal souls, the time we have here on earth is short. And how you spend your time, who you spend it with, and what you spend it doing should all be a reflection upon the fact that it will soon be over. It's a mere dash, a breath in the wind. 
Linda Ellis concludes her poem this way. So when your eulogy is being read, with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? Ecclesiastes, I think, has at times been quite a shocking book. It's been arresting and almost blunt in its nature and and in the nature in which it's laid the truth before us. But all along, it's actually been asking this same question as Linda Ellis in her poem, The Dash. How will you spend it? How will you spend your dash? How will you live your life? No matter how long God gives you, this life in this world is a very, very short time when we compare it to eternity. But what you do with it is incredibly important. And the bare fact that death is around the corner for all of us actually helps to sharpen our minds. It helps us think about how we might live in the here and now. The the preacher's taken us on a tour. He's taken us on this, this tour of life, the universe, and everything. He's asked big questions and he's asked small questions. And he's been there and he's done it all so that we don't have to. We can simply sit at his feet and hear what he has to say. And he shares his wisdom and experience with us so that we can learn to live in the light of everything that he has gone through. And so today, we come to the end of the book and the conclusion of the matter. The end of a a 12-chapter sermon. And what have we learned? Well, please do keep your Bibles open at Ecclesiastes 12. We're, We're told once again of the exploits of the teacher, where these exploits were not actually as he might have thought of them. They were not in vain. All along he said, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. But actually, he's been able to write this down. He's been able to pass it on to us. And we have received wisdom and truth. How wonderful is it to receive wisdom and truth in a world that is filled with foolishness and lies. How wonderful is it that the preacher has brought us words which are acceptable and upright. So refreshing in a world that is crooked and deceitful. But we have to note that the preacher's words here are wise and they are true. They are upright and they are acceptable because they are given from the very mouth of God. They have been breathed out and inspired by the Holy Spirit. The words we've read in this book of Ecclesiastes are God's words. And so they're not like other words. You see what it says at the end of verse 12? There at the end, there, there, is, there is no end of making of books and much study is wearisome. I'm sure some of our young people can attest to that fact that much study is wearisome. Maybe they've just come through exams or maybe you're still in the middle of that battle. Keep going. Much study is wearisome to the flesh. But not these words. And not study of God's word. That's not wearisome. 
God's word is refreshing. It's like the rain that has fallen over the last couple of days on the the sunburnt and dried up land. God's word does that to our hearts. God's word brings wisdom. Like rain in the fields in a hot summer's day. Like a, a cold glass of ice water to the runner who has just come through the desert. God's word brings wisdom, not weariness. Isn't it wonderful to hear God's word? To know that the God of this world who made the heavens and the earth by speaking, let there be, and it was. That same God speaks to us today. The God who spoke to Abraham from the heavens, who spoke to see of Isaac on Mount Moriah. He speaks to us today. The God who spoke blessing to Jacob after their wrestling match speaks to us today. The God who spoke to Moses in the burning bush speaks to us today. The God who spoke long ago at many times and in many ways through signs and wonders, prophets, priests, kings, through the Psalms and the Proverbs, he speaks to us today. The same God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. God is speaking today through the word of Jesus Christ. Each time you open your Bible to read, you are reading the word of God. Each time you hear it read and you hear it preached in worship, you are hearing the word of God. Isn't it wonderful to know that God is speaking to us today? Right now. And is bringing refreshment to our weary souls. Because God's word brings wisdom. God doesn't merely speak to us as if he were the postman or a stranger on a bus. It's not a a friendly hello from a neighbour. As nice as that may be. When God speaks through his word, it brings wisdom. It brings life and vitality to us. God's word does something in us. Just as the first creation was brought about by God's word, speaking forth his power, so the new creation of our hearts is brought about by God's word. As it goes into us and teaches us the wisdom of salvation through Christ. This is best represented in scripture in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Many of you will know these verses. Isaiah 55, verse 10 says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. 
I hope you understand what that means. It means that if we want to grow in the Christian life, if we want to develop in our knowledge, love and faith in Jesus, then we need more and more and more of God's word because it doesn't return to him without accomplishing the thing that he sends it for. For your blessing, for your growth in grace, for your development as a disciple of Jesus, for your increase in wisdom. There are just so many times in our lives when we look around us and maybe think, if only I had more wisdom. If only I knew how to deal with this situation before me. How do I speak to my friend who is struggling? How do I witness to my brother who doesn't believe? How do I comfort my child who is being bullied? How do I discipline my child who's saying incredibly mean things? God's word brings wisdom to bear on all of these things for us as Christians. It doesn't always give the specific answer to our specific question, but it gives us wisdom to help us to answer the questions. But there is one question that it answers loud and clear. And it's the most important question that anyone can ask. It's the question the Philippian jailer asked of Paul and Silas. The question is, what must I do to be saved? And to that question... God's word brings resounding and clear wisdom. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Rest for weary souls, drink for thirsty souls, food for hungry souls and forgiveness for sinful and guilty souls. All on offer through God's word as he speaks to your heart in the reading and preaching of his word. God is speaking to you right now. He sends forth his word for your salvation and it will not return to him void. It will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. So let me say plainly today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. God's word brings wisdom. That's what the preacher of Ecclesiastes has discovered. But there's more. He's discovered that God's word brings wisdom, but that demands something of us. We, we can't just receive this wisdom and then remain unchanged. The wisdom does something in us. Look down at verse 13 and see what it demands of us. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's all. Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God. Fear God. Do you know, I can still very, very vividly remember as a, a barely 15-year-old boy uh, in the summer between fourth and fifth year at school, that's year 11 and year 12 for those who are in new money. Uh, I can picture right now 
the beginning of rugby training at school. And what happens when you get into year 12 is that the school sports programme is all flattened out for the senior school. So previously, you would play with those who are in your year group. But once you're in year 12, well, now you have to play with the sixth form boys. And I can feel the fear as well today as I did then, standing, waiting to be tackled by those who were about to enter their last year of school. No longer boys, really, they were men, some of them 18 years old, arriving in their cars, facial hair that would rival mine today. And the fear was palpable, standing scared to face them, either to tackle them or be tackled by them. Either way, I was going to end up bruised, whether it was physically or in my ego. I was going to end up crushed. Fear. But there was something really interesting about that fear. Because while much of it was around their physical size and their ability to crush me, there was also this fear of wanting them to like me, but not knowing how to make that happen. Fear. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, fear God. And so we should. Because while those rugby boys in Bambridge Academy had the ability to knock me over, in every way my bruising would heal. Friends, God has the ability to crush us. To crush us beyond all recognition or recovery. To crush us and to continue crushing us for all eternity. And not only has the God, God got the ability to do that, he has the motivation. Fear God. Because the seed of every sin that displeases and angers God lies in your heart. It lies in my heart. God has motivation to crush you because you have sinned against him. With your words and your thoughts, and your actions, with the things you have done and the things you have not done, with your motivations and your desires, you have sinned against God in so many ways. In his most famous sermon, Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards pictures how easy it would be for God to cast his enemies, each one who has sinned against him, how easy it would be for God to cast them into hell. Jonathan Edwards says this. He says, We find it easy to tread on and crush a worm that we see crawling on the earth. So it is easy for us to cut or singe a slender thread that hangs. Thus, it is easy for God, when he pleases, to cast his enemies down to hell. Fear God. Is this wisdom? Wisdom from God's word today? Fear God. Well, I hope it is. I hope you hear it as wisdom. I hope you see the wisdom in this because while God has both the ability and the motivation to crush us as we might crush a worm, remember the Philippian jailer. 
there is a way to be saved. There is a way to know the mercy and the compassion of God, to know forgiveness and grace. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why? Well, because he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. And everyone has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Wisdom from God's word. Fear God and trust in Christ. In him there is freedom from sin. Because he has taken the crushing. The punishment. The bruising. So how are we getting on? Have you enough yet to help you to know how to live out your dash? There's a little bit more. One more thing. Fear God and keep his commandments. Being forgiven our sin is not a motivation to sin more. Paul says that much in Romans chapter 6. Paul says, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Just think about those rugby boys in Barmer's Academy. Wouldn't it have been something if they'd gone easy on the younger boys? Now, I can assure you that they didn't. And whenever I got to sixth form, neither did I. But let's just imagine they had gone easy on us. My fear of them would not have decreased any. But there would have been something in me that made me thankful. And, and I don't know, actually like them a little bit more. Still with fear, but now also with gratitude and respect, with honour. And no, not really with love, but I think you see where I'm going here. The fact that we've been forgiven by God does not lead us to greater sin, but greater and deeper reliance on Christ out of gratitude. Keep his commandments. Because you love him. Because you want to please him. Because you know that they are for your best. God's word brings wisdom. And one way it does so is in the form of commandments. Structuring our behaviour so that life is good and blessed. Like I said, I was at a conference this last week and I had the absolute pleasure and privilege of hearing from one of my theological heroes, Sinclair Ferguson. Sinclair has written more books, given more talks and sermons than I ever feel I would have time to get through in this life. As far as I'm concerned, he's one of the greatest gifts of God to reformed theology in our day. He has a brain the size of a planet and he seems to work on a completely different level to someone like me. He was in a panel discussion this last week and he was asked this question, what is advice you would give to a younger minister 
about his own personal holiness. How can he keep himself holy? And this man, Sinclair Ferguson, who can access the Institutes of Calvin in his mind the way that I can access the weather on my smartphone, this man who is just an unbelievably wonderful theological brain, when he was asked, what advice would you give to a younger minister about his own personal holiness? Sinclair Ferguson simply said, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, it's so simple. Yet it's so wise. God's word brings wisdom. And isn't that the message of Ecclesiastes in the end? Of the making of many books there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. How should you live your dash. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. There's no greater or higher calling. There's no secret formula. There's no recipe for success and happiness. The conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and keep his commandments. That's what you're to do with your dash. You know, on the day of your funeral, someone will likely stand to say something about you, about how you lived your dash. And you don't need to worry about being proud on that day because you will have the approval of God in Christ if you have trusted in him. And if you have trusted in Jesus, you won't need to worry about being proud on that day because you will have gone on into the presence of Jesus. And you will be beholding Jesus face to face in light and glory. Having been made perfect in holiness and received into the highest heavens and have heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You won't be worried about it. But the greatest thing anyone can say of us at our funeral service, and I know this because I've spoken at a number of funerals, the greatest thing anyone can say about our dash is that we responded to the wisdom of God's word. We feared God, trusted in Christ, and kept his commandments. Friends, let me tell you, that would be a wonderful testimony and legacy to leave. I'm going to pray for us now. Let's pray.